want to say thank you to those of you who are here, as well as those who may be online with us today. Uh, as you know, we're going to continue our study in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 2. You know, last week we tried to set the stage to tell you a little bit about Corinth and uh, what was going on there and uh, the fact that Corinth was a very, we said, was a wealthy city, a powerful city, a very, because of part of Greece, uh, Greece and the Greek culture, uh, the people were, for the most part, very uh, intellectually astute. So therefore, they were some very intelligent people. And, and, so, and sometimes, we saw last week, that they could be impressed by the oration of the speaker versus how much that speaker know. And so therefore, they, last week, we saw that uh, Corinth uh, is a city that Paul was concerned about because he had got word that there was some dissension going on in the church. But at the same time, he found out that this dissension was about the different ministers that had ministered to them. And so therefore, some of them had broke off into factions. And like Paul, because, you know, he founded the church, Peter, because he was of Jewish descent and walked with Jesus, and Apollos, because he was a, a great speaker, an articulate guy, well-learned. Uh, uh, but uh, we found out earlier that even though he was well-learned, there were some things that he didn't know because he learned some things when he had went there from Priscilla and Aquila, who had taught him about the fullness of the gospel. He knew up until uh, Jesus Christ and, and, and his baptism, but he didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the resurrection. And so when we keep that backdrop in mind, we see that Paul is continuing tonight to try to uh, uh, impress upon them the wisdom of God and, and the wisdom that God... Uh, uh, use and, and the way he does things does not always line up with worldly wisdom. And the point that we want to try to make is that there's some things that no matter how much we think we know, we're, God is going to never reveal everything to us. And so knowing that there is certain things that we can determine because of our relationship with God and because of, of, of who we are in Christ, and because now, keep in mind, when we are talking about this lesson, we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we have something, I'm going to reveal this and talk about it later, we have something that can help us at least get an understanding of how God operates in certain situations. Don't we don't reveal everything about God, because the Bible even recorded that was certain thing that Jesus did that was never recorded. And so, therefore, we don't know everything, but we know enough if we got the Holy Spirit and we got the Word. Well, these folks had the Spirit, but they didn't have the Word, the Word that, that we have. All they had was references to the Old Testament. So a lot of the things that were revealed later was not revealed to them at this time. So Paul was using Old Testament references and the things that he had taught them in simplicity as a means of addressing this first letter to them. And so we get here in chapter 2. Again, Paul going to continue to make the point that everything centers around, the gospel centers around the cross, that, that Jesus Christ uh, uh, died on the cross and, and, and he was raised from the dead after he was crucified. And, and all of that teaching and all the things that we learned from that was based on that truth and not rhetoric, and not rhetoric, rhetoric that was generated by human logic and human understanding. And we saw last week that sometimes the teaching of the cross, the very simplistic teaching of the gospel, is not, expect, is not respected or received by those who are hearing it. 
And so therefore, sometimes people's intellect can keep them from understanding this simple message. And that's what we closed with last week. The gospel is a simple message. And he's going to start off a little bit tonight talking about that and, and how plain he was when he was talking to them and the wisdom that comes from God. So look at this, what he says in, in, in verse uh, 1. He says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, you know, refer to his first visit there when he was on his second missionary journey. He was saying that when I first came to you, brothers and dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Paul said, look, I, I did not try to impress you with what I knew. It, because we know that Paul was, was an educated man, well-learned. He was a Pharisee. So he, he knew the depth of the Old Testament and the teaching, but he was saying, when I came to you, I wasn't trying to impress you with what I know. I was trying to get the simple message of the gospel to you, and I didn't want to be too deep because, one, he realized he was talking to new believers. He wasn't talking to well-learned people who had know, knew the Bible or had the Holy Spirit operating that life fully. So he, he was not trying to impress them with lofty words and impressive wisdom, even though he had wisdom. He was not trying to impress them with the wisdom to tell them God's secret plan. And we keep saying that God's plan that was revealed was that this gospel, before, the hand of, before time, God already had a plan that the gospel was going to be shared with the whole world and that his son Jesus was going to be the means for us to get saved. That, that was revealed later, but God always had that plan. And that plan that God would send his son to die for mankind didn't make sense to some people who receive it. And that plan still don't make sense today to some people. Because if, if the plan made sense to everybody, then more people would probably believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That, that he came to die for all mankind's sin, which he did. But just because we know that to be true, everybody don't accept that as true. And so he says now, he didn't try to impress them when he was talking to them about God's plans for man. He tried to come to them in simplicity so that they can understand. And I'm going to ask a question about that a little bit later. He tried. See, when we present God's word, we present the gospel, you know, we got to gotta know the people that you present it to. You, you, you know, you, if you're talking to babes, you don't talk to babes the same way you would be dealing with someone who may have been saved for 20 years, someone who may be learned and studied. So therefore, when he, here in this situation, dealing with these new believers, he was just trying to make sure that they get a good, solid foundation. And he talked about that in later chapters when he says he built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It was laid, and then he built onto that, and then others would come behind him and build on that same foundation. And so we have to understand when people are trying to understand the truth of the gospel, we have to start with the foundation. They got to know the foundation. They got to understand the foundation or truth of the gospel before we start putting up walls and roofs and everything else to the house. You got to get the foundation. Brother Hurt? It, it just comes to me. I don't know if I can tie this to or not. And when you're saying about Paul being educated of the, uh, what is it, uh, the law, or mm -hmm. very educated, it, it seems to me even. Paul was blinded 
when he going to the road of Damascus. He was also, uh, in a sense, the God that covered his eyes because he was blinded of that simple truth. Uh, this of uh, what of the spiritual thing that God was going to put him through, uh, what he's doing now. But I'm just saying to me, that's also Paul was also was blinded of mm -hmm. uh, what he was going to do to Marcus, uh, going to the road of Marcus, that he was going to persecute the Christians. And then all of a sudden he couldn't see and he was blinded of the yeah. simple fact. He said, and he said, Lord, who is, who are you? You are. I'm the one that you are persecuting, that mm -hmm. you're going after. And I'm just saying to me, that's kind of resonating to me that Paul was also was blinded. And and he was in that again, that's a true statement. Before his conversion, Paul being a Pharisee, he had a hard time believing that Jesus was the Son of God. And therefore, because of that, he was persecuting God's people. Instead of buying into the message. He said, look here, I'm going to round them up. We're going to persecute them, going to beat some of them, going to kill some of them. And he got permission from religious leaders to do that. But Jesus had that encounter that Brother Herb was talking about on Damascus Road to open his eyes up to let him see who he really was. And so from that time, Paul was on a mission. Now he, he was converted or changed, which all of us should be changed when we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. It should bring about a change in our lives. So we, we all on our Damascus Road going somewhere and the Lord should intercept us through this gospel, through the word being preached to you and you being taught, and you accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God ought to bring about a change in our lives. Everybody that's saved ought to have a changed story. You know, we should all have a story to tell, and that story ought to be simple and basic so that as you present the gospel to others, it'll be simple enough for them to understand it. Not so, so deep that they cannot understand what you're trying to tell them when it comes to Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and how important that is to the gospel message. So he said, I could have impressed you guys, but I'm not trying to impress you. And sometimes as ministers, you know, yeah, you know, you want to, you, you reach your audience, you know, if you got people in there who are doctors, or you got people who are highly educated, you know, I'm guilty. I'll go to the thesaurus every now and then, and you know, find me a big word to throw in there, you know, just to let folks know I know a little something, something. But, but I realized that trying to impress people with big words, if, it, if I don't break it down and use that big word in the smaller version of that word so that everybody can understand it, yeah, that may be some people say, wow, pastor's well learned. But then another person said, man, I don't even know what that word means. He just says, I ain't got a clue. And that's what I used to like about Martin Luther King. You know, he used to use synonyms of the same word to make a point, you know, because I remember one time he made a speech say, you know, I'm not going to genuflect. And, you know, that was over my head. I had no clue what he was talking about. Genuflect. And then he went on to say, and I refused to bow down. Well, when I looked it up, genuflect and bow down mean the same thing. So when he got to bow down, he was talking to me. But he was saying genuflect, he was talking to somebody that's educated, like, you know, no multiple-syllable words. So I'm sitting there nodding my head, right? Genuflect who? I ain't never heard that word before. And so as I read that, and I read a lot of his writings, he did a lot, that a lot of times. He would use big words, and then he'll say the same thing in smaller words so that everybody in the audience can understand what he was trying to say. And so that's an art to be able to do that. And so people are skilled. 
and, and but the but the gospel needs to be presented in a way that people can understand, that they can take it into their heart and then want to do something with it. He says, look at this in verse 2. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He said, my only message to you, because y'all were new babies, is all I want y'all to do is get this cross thing down right. I want y'all to understand the message of the cross is Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I can build on that foundation, if I got to get you to accept that, because if you don't accept that foundational truth that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sin, then you're not going to accept the other things that come along with the gospel. You got to get the foundation right. And that's why when we talk to people, we're witnessing to people, we don't need to try to be too deep when we're starting off talking to them. We just need to, try, need to get them to believe the basic truth of the gospel. That, hey, God loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you. Can you believe that? Can you wrap your mind around that, that God loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you? Why? Because we were all sinners, and that's why Jesus came. Simple message. And so when people hear that, then we have to kind of relate to them, hey, what does God call sin? Why did Jesus have to do it? We've got to let them know that certain things that, that the Spirit revealed to us that just don't line up with what God would have us to do. And so therefore, that's the hard part is when we have to tell that side of the gospel. Okay, he died for our sins. Okay, well, what is sin? And see, now we live in a time where what the, used to be fundamentally called sin, certain things now is acceptable. And so when society accepts certain things, they become normal. When we see it on television, when we see it, you know, play it out in movies and all that, they get it into our mind and start thinking, hey, that is normal acceptable behavior. But somewhere in our spirit has to be revealed to us that that is still not consistent with the simple truth of the gospel. Even though it's on the television, even though it's in the news, even though it's out there on Instagram and all those social media networks, it don't necessarily mean that it is the truth. But so often when we see that and a lot of people seeing these things, Man, it's amazing how many people are just following folk out there now who don't even know. They just read them every day and think that what they're saying is gospel. And don't verify, don't check it out. So the same thing. When we read this Bible, we ought to be like the Bereans. We got to go back and study it so that we can understand what we're reading. And sometimes that requires coming to Bible study, that requires coming to church, and then that requires you studying on your own meditating on this word, and then trying to live what you're reading about and studying about. And so he said, he said, he said I decided that, I would, that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Christ, the one who was crucified. Simple message. Verse 3, he said, now look, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. Now, I don't mean that he was afraid, you know, Paul wasn't trying to say he was a wimp and he was afraid of the, the, the assignment that God had given him. He was just saying that his attitude toward them, he didn't want to come to them like he knew it all. Like, even though I'm well learned, even though I was a Pharisee, and a lot of things that I learned as a Pharisee does not conflict with what Jesus taught. A lot of the things that we learned in the prophets, Jesus fulfilled those things. So I learned some good stuff, and when I came to you, I did not come, you know, like I was all that. 
I came with this spirit of meekness and weakness so that you will receive the gospel that I'm trying to get through to you. So his attitude was not fearful, but he was letting them know that he was dependent on the Holy Spirit to help him. Because keep in mind, I told you last week, Corinth was a wicked city. I mean, they, the Greeks had multiple gods. They, they had a god for everything. And, and I challenge you, when you leave here tonight, just Google, you know, ask Google or Syria, whoever you talk to, to say, list the Greek gods. And you'll be surprised when they list about 25 or 30 gods. And a lot of those gods we use in language all the time and don't even know it. You know, because they, they named and what they stood for represent a lot of things. Like Nike, that's a good name. But it's the Greek god of victory. And so therefore, Nike guy, he was smart when he named him Nike. Because now, Nike has come to represent victory. You know, every athlete can't wear Nikes. I mean, they don't let everybody endorse them. Normally, people who endorse Nike are wearing Nike stuff. You know, they don't want something. Because it means victory. And so when we talk about things like that, we have to know that the origin behind a lot of words that we use, and when we don't go and do some study, we'll be saying things. Like, you know, we was brought up with the Apollo Theater. Everybody wanted to go to the Apollo. Greek God. For art, music, you know? And, and so what we see here is that a lot of things that, was, that, that is in the world, it's easy for it to creep right into the church because it sounds good. We name automobiles after God, Saturn, you know? Hercules was a God. <laughs> I said, like, you know, we didn't see movies about Hercules. We, that, we didn't know that it was Greek mythology. We just thought of some strong dude, but that, you know, but we was little kids that made sense to us to see some guy that strong. But we didn't know that that was a Greek God's name. They made a movie called The Poseidon Adventure. A long time ago, some of y'all weren't even born when that was out, you know, but, but when I looked up Poseidon, it got something to do with the ocean and water. So that's the God of the sea. And so in that movie, guess what? The sea was cutting the food. Tidal waves, killing folks, ships being sunk. I mean, so, so I'm trying to tell you, there are so many things that are so easy for us to just bring into our mindset because of the culture we live in, and we don't do the research and look up certain words, and we start saying certain things out of ignorance and not know exactly what it means. And that's why it's important for us to study. And Paul said, when I came, I wasn't trying to impress you with what I knew, I wanted to keep the message simple, so I came timid and trembling to show my humility. He says this in verse 4, and my message and my preaching was very plain. Now, in your mind, somebody get a mic, talk to me. What is a plain message to you? What, does, what do you consider a plain message? He said, my message and my preaching was very Plain. And it, it may be different for each one of you, but what do you would consider a message that is plain? You don't went to church, and you can walk out of that and say, man, the message was plain. Okay, some people say, easy to understand, Brother Hurd. Yeah? 
I was um, doing another study, and they, they gave me two, two differences of messages or ministering. And it says, one message, uh, they even said a pastor can give you a good, a good sermon, but only give you, it only comes with good counsel. That's the only part it goes, and it won't make no change. It can do a good message, but only give you good advice. Uh -huh. But it says, but if you, the true message will give you the good news, can make a change in someone's life. And so that's, that's the difference for me, what I'm saying. When we're talking about the gospel in a sense, if you get the good news, it will make a change in your life. But uh, then ordinary man give you good advice, it don't make no change. Okay, okay. So, so a plain and simple message of the gospel, I, I'm following you, said is that once received, then it should bring about actions from the person that got the message. Meaning that if, if it was simple enough for me to understand, then it must be something that I can act on. I got something out of here that I can take for action or I can do to better myself, better my relationship with the Lord, because the message was simple. And, and, and the message was related to the, uh, the gospel. It was a gospel message talking about Jesus and, 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 and the significance of the gospel. The problem is today is that a lot of people now, preachers, we're, we're really pressed hard to try to preach more messages that touch people's feelings more so than trying to grow them to be stronger Christians. You, you want them to feel something when they leave church. And when you can touch people feelings, for a moment they will give you that feedback, say, I got it. But sometimes feelings don't always mean that I'm going to do what the message is saying. Because certain words can speak to people's feelings. But, but at the same time, when we try to speak to people's feelings, because it's important to sometimes touch people's heart. You got to pull on their heartstrings sometimes with the gospel. But at the same time, that gospel should come with instruction that is going to encourage them to make the necessary change, to live in accordance with what they're being taught. They got to be challenged. And there's no guarantee that any student is going to do what the instructor teaches. But the instructor is still required to present the gospel in a way that is plain. Anybody else want to talk about plain before I move on? Plain, what it means to you? Jesse, you got a mic? Get a mic real quick. So I set an example of a, a message that is that Jesus died for us and stuff like that. And then I would say like uh, one that's maybe not simple is like I want to say like when you try to speak about the uh, the wives submit to your husband and stuff like that because it's it's, it's a lot more I don't know you look into the context of what you're saying and stuff like that. So that's probably the best comparison for me. Okay, that that makes a good point. So so trying to relate across to someone which is you know pretty straightforward and simple. And then trying to discern what does wives submit to your own husband really mean, and how to everybody interpret that. That could, it could be simple, but everybody could interpret the word that one little simple word, submit, <laughs> differently. And, and and based upon that interpretation, 
you know, and, and the culture and the time when that was said, it, you know, it, it can cause a lot of confusion. Again, I'm glad you used that because we were brought up in a generation where, you know, they took that kind of like, because at that time, men were the breadwinners. They, they were the head of the household. Even though they, they weren't going to church, they, just because they had, were the breadwinners, they were considered in charge, and, and rightly so. But, but in that, I think, came a, a, in a lot of cultures, came a lot of abusive men who abused their power. You know, God never intended for them to do that, but their lack of understanding of what that word submit means and how they are to conduct themselves can cause them to act in a way that is not consistent with the word. And so therefore, if I was brought up in a family seeing my daddy act a certain way, I'm going to probably act the same way because I'm thinking that's gospel, but that's daddy. And then I have to learn what God's way of doing things in a marriage is and how different it may be from what I saw my daddy do, my uncle do, and people like that. But at the same time, we're always learning something from somebody. You know, and, and I tell parents today, your children are always learning. You need to tap into what they're looking at on their phone, on television, because they're being taught something and indoctrinated. And everything that they're being indoctrinated to is not consistent with the gospel. But if a wise parent is not there to help them to understand these various messages they're getting, it could be a complicated life for our children. He said, now look, my preaching was very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ms. Marvel, you know, uh, go ahead. Is the mic on? Okay, got, we got you. Amen. And a, and, a, and a good speaker, minister, teacher should be able to teach and give analogies and examples that everybody can relate to. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of always using football analogies because I think most men will understand those analogies tied to a scripture. But sometimes I have to remember, hey, women don't, may not know. Now, some of them do, but some women say, what are you talking about? How does past interference have something to do with this scripture that he's trying to teach us. I ain't got a clue what past interference is. So therefore we have to take messages like that even though we're trying to speak to a particular audience we got to make sure everybody in the audience understands what we're talking about, what we're saying. And the way you do that is to try to be as simple as you can. Even though you can, simple can sometimes be profound. You know sometimes I think we think that because we're simple in certain messages that we're not profound enough to teach people God's word that there is a time and a place to get deeper in God's word and study and things like that. But when you're talking to the masses, man, you want people to leave out of there with an understanding of what they heard so that they can at least apply it to their lives. Yes. And then, is that mic on? Red one? Go ahead, Myrna. What you got? I was thinking about 
that Friday service that the teach with all the teachers and maybe about five, six teachers, the message always short but sweet. You know, it's not elaborate, it's not, it's just kind of like simple and you get to get full understanding in that 10 minutes that they use to give the message. And I feel like that one is up like a plain and simple message. Okay, oh, you're talking about who we yes. use? The, the, the night we use, like the, the seven last sayings yes. or different themes like we use from multiple preachers. Well, you know, sometimes you're right because now they have to be short, sweet, and to the point. So they'll have time to, you know, kind of go over the hill and through the woods to grandma's house. They got to just tell you, hey, short and sweet, this is the main point that I'm trying to make. And normally when you're giving short time, you want to make one or two points that people can remember and support those points with Scripture. You know, so that's why we have to spend time studying God's word, learning God's word. And that's why when we see later on here, Paul is teaching and writing to these people, but he's going to reference some Old Testament scriptures to support the point that he's trying to make. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I like that part. I'm going to go back where you was talking about how people, you know, how they're feeling. And when they, you certain ones, like if they come preaching or you can hear on the radio or, or whatever, you know, it's about the feelings. But it's not about the feelings, you know, because to me it's like going through the motion, but it's coming from the heart. When you're coming from the heart and there, you know, that way you can even get the, the word even better by learning and listening, you know, through the spirit of God. Amen. And, and he's going to bring that spirit back into this here in a few minutes because look what he says here. I'm going to go back to verse 4 and move on. He says, and my message... And my preaching was very simple, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches. Now, when I was an instructor, they taught us a speech that we had to present a persuasive speech. We had to do that. They taught us how to do that, how to build a speech, not about the Bible, but how to build a speech that once you finish speaking, that person got to be persuaded to your point of view. And they taught us to use certain words, certain key things, Certain points you have to make to make sure you connect with them so that when they, you finish, that they understand your point of view. Now, I do believe that there is a point in time when we're presenting the gospel that we got to be persuasive, you know, but that is not more so when you're talking to masses, maybe. That's when I'm talking to Greg one-on-one, witnessing the man. I got I got him on the hook right now, and so I can't let him off. I got to stay here and persuade him. So now that conversation may take a deeper conversation because that may be a little bit of back and forth back and forth because I'm countering his argument to persuade him that my argument is better. And that's where the Bible talks about us having to defend the hope that we believe in. In, in. in gospel language, they call it apologetics, being able to defend the gospel. You know, and, and, and that's something that we have to learn to do, and everybody can't defend it unless they've been taught it. And so that's why these things that we're doing now is important. So he said, I didn't come to you with clever language. I didn't try to use my intellect on you and, 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 and persuasive speech. I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, man, if I can get this word in your heart and the Holy Spirit in your heart, then if it can get in you, it can start to do some changing to you. Amen. And so I have to say things that's going to connect because you don't want to say something right away that's going to turn people off. But you don't run away from the truth of the gospel. You just present it in a way that people can receive it. And, 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 and so sometimes 
when we're talking to people, we have to keep that in mind because he says in verse, verse 5, I did this so you would trust not in my human wisdom, but in the power of God. Some people are impressed just because Pastor Bolden came here and say, uh, I'm Dr. Bolden, I got a PhD in theology, and an MD in, uh, in divinity and administration of the gospel. That's all y'all done heard. Y'all said, wow. I ain't said nothing about Jesus yet, but wow. So right now, if everybody's impressed with that title, then I may be able to say something that sounds good, but because of who I am, you may believe me, even though it may not be totally true. Because titles can, can sometimes impress people to the point that they look past the stuff that they are saying. And so I don't care who speaks to you, you need to, if they give you a scripture, if, first of all, if he's a PhD in whatever, and he ain't open the Bible up, and all he's doing is just pontificating on what he thinks, that's philosophy. I can have a philosophy on all of this, but I need to support whatever I'm thinking with the word. I got to say, open up and read this for yourself, and then now you may disagree with an example that I use in that, then that's where you go home and study for yourself and say, okay, God, do I see it the same way? How do I interpret what he's saying there? But don't be so impressed with, with people who come across with human skills. Because I'm telling you, that is a learned behavior. You can be taught those things. Now, certain people like certain types of preaching. I'm a teacher, so I, I, you know, I'm not going to squall and yodel and, and sing to you. I can't do that. But there are some guys that can do that real good, and I'll knock them. But that's a learned behavior. If I wanted to learn how to hoop, what they call it in the preaching language, where you kind of, you know, hoop, you just go with it. That ain't my style. I look, that, that wouldn't even fit me because I know I'm a teacher, and I like talking. I don't like, well, and, and, and. I like that. I like good preaching like that. I, I do. I mean, I get about my seat. I move with it. But at the end of the day, I need to know what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, need, I need to understand what does that point mean, you know. I, I, I got you. But, 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 but again, when you get caught up in the feelings and the music is playing, you ain't paying no, your mind is all shot. Now, you ain't even listening to, to understand because your feelings done took over. And that's why a lot of times, I'm just giving y'all some of these trade secrets, if y'all watch people, music, uh, uh, preachers on television, listen very close, especially if they are preachers that are very dynamic and they like touching your feelings at the end of the sermon. Listen to when the music started playing in their sermon. When the music started playing, you, that you don't heard, you've been listening to them for 30 minutes, you ain't heard nothing. But all of a sudden you start hearing music coming in, music has a way of penetrating your emotion, your spirit. And it is, is a good tool to assist in getting you where I want you to go in your feeling. And ain't nothing wrong with a high service. I ain't got no problem with that. But after we get through shouting, you got to remember what we shouting about. What got me shouting? I can come up here, man, you know, again, I'm, I'm sharing trade secrets. I probably should be doing it. But, man, we're taught that everybody got problems. If you're talking to 100 people and they marry, at least 10 of them got some marriage issues. Some of them ain't got no money. 
Some of them children cutting the food. You don't have to go do no deep survey on that. You just got the people in the room that they're going to have those type of problems. And so if I want to speak to a felt need at the end of a service, I'm going to always go to those things. And people say, boy, that was deep. No, it wasn't. I just know human nature. Folk have problems. And it's okay if I'm giving you a solution to your marriage problem in the sermon versus you getting up here crying and at the end of the day, it's still jacked up. So, I, I shouldn't be telling y'all all this, but this is Bible study. I'm just telling you. So there is an art to preaching. And there are various styles. And, 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 and what you need to understand is that you got to know what is truth and if it's sticking with the word. Because a lot of times, people will open up and say one scripture, but then they never say anything else about the Bible to support it. But it can sound good, especially if I know you're a young, up-and-coming person and you're trying to get ahead, you know, you're trying to level up. I can talk to you about leveling up all day long and don't even mention Jesus and that you need him. Is he a part of your level up plan? You see, are you going to level up God's way or are you going to level up the world's way? Are you going to let the ends justify the means? So as long as you get to the top of the ladder, how you get there don't really matter. And so you can preach that and people, yeah, man, Pastor, hold it today, man. I'm trying to get up the corporate ladder. He on my street. Yeah, but he's trying to tell you that the way you got to get up the ladder and you got to get up there God's way. You just can't get to the top of the ladder any kind of way and say, hey, I did it God's way. And so when you come to church and you're being taught, Man, don't shut your brains off when you come to church. He said, now look, I did, not, I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Look, look at this. Yet, this is what Paul let us know, that he wasn't a dummy. When I am among mature believers, somebody say mature. So that means that all believers are not mature. All of you all in this room, I guarantee you, we could do a survey now, find out where you are in your spiritual growth and your maturity. I guarantee you, most of you be at different levels. It ain't got no, nothing to do with how old you are or anything like that. There are some people who only been saved, you know, five years that is more mature spiritually than someone who's been saved 25 years. So spiritual growth has nothing to do with our natural age. It has something to do with us allowing the Spirit of God to continue to, to teach us and to continue to to teach us to be more and more like Jesus and to study to show ourselves approved. So therefore, with that comes that maturity level, and as we get mature, our decision-making should get better. Because now that we are mature, we become wiser, and we make better decisions. He said, now, he said, yet when I'm among mature belie believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. So I can level up, I can crank my game up a little bit. You know, if the crowd in here was all, if I knew everybody came in here with college degree folks, oh, I'd have a different approach. I would. I'd level up a little bit. Because I don't want somebody to miss the message because they think the messenger can't speak on that level. So that's why we got to study. We got to know people. But I'm not saying I'm going to go and try to act, you know, I ain't going to try to act like I'm something I'm not. But ain't nothing wrong with me having, you know, three or four syllable words. And knowing my audience. Some people 
feel like they can't learn from anybody. So you got you to say, okay, I know I'm talking to this audience, so therefore when I speak and teach this gospel, I got to relate it to where they are and talk in language that they understand. Now, I ain't going to go and use some kind of ungodly language, but I'm talking about the analogy is going to be something that they can connect with. You know, when I'm, you know, Finley's man, super smart back there. But now he may be a, not as mature in the gospel, but he's not a babe. So my conversation with him would be maybe different with someone who I know is a, is a babe. And because I know Finley is a bright guy, I'm going to do a little homework when I talk to him. I'm going to find out what this generation listening to, what they're talking. So he don't think I'm out of touch. I want to be culturally relevant, but I don't want to compromise the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think sometimes when, when the church becomes irrelevant to what's going on around us, then now we don't know how to make the gospel make sense to some people. And we can do that with the simple message of the cross, so we don't have to get deep there. But there are certain things Paul said when he, he got deeper. So at certain times, we just got to go, we got to get a little deeper, depending on the audience. Brother Herb? Yeah, one of the things that uh, remind me of, uh, we just got through coming out of Ephesians, and we go back to chapter 2. And, you, and when Paul addressed it in chapter 2, he said, <laughs> you were, you were walking dead people. You, didn't, you, you don't know nothing about this, this gospel. And as we was walking, and as we were walking, we were walking the wrath of, of children. And because a lot of us come late into this gospel that, that's being given unto us. And as, in, that, in that sense, we still have our, you keep considering, we still have our old ways because we have walking without God and to the point where we were dead people. So, so the things that this gospel comes to you, you, you don't know these things. So you, you always continue to learn how to be as, as a children of God. So you never, to me, that, that individual will never reach to that goal to the point be perfect, to understand and to walk the walk. So they're always going to be able to learn and be able to, uh, 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 so you be able to preach the gospel into them so they learn it. And when someone say they arrived, look out. Amen. Amen. I mean, because God never, re we're going to see later, never reveal his whole hand. We're always learning. You know, it, 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 that we're always learning. As we're learning, we just got to be more, more apt to apply what we're learning. Because Paul says here, when I am among mature believers, I speak with the words of wisdom. Now look at this. But not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world. In other words, he's saying, I can speak wisdom amongst those, but I don't have to act like they act. I don't have to draw my wisdom from the gods they draw their wisdom from, or from the philosophers they draw. Their. The Bible is a book of wisdom. And, and the more we know about God's word, and I guess, guess what? A lot of the things that people say, sometimes it comes right out of Scripture. And Christians don't even know. That's, sometimes you can hear a little quote or something on the television, somebody say, man, that sounds familiar. Man, they done took a part of the Bible. Man, so, you know, uh, uh, as a child, a, a good example, man, the golden rule. All my life as a little child, I thought Coca-Cola developed that. Because they put it on a ruler, and Coca-Cola was on the front of it, 
And on the back it said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Well, at that time I wasn't no Christian, wasn't going to church, so I gave Coke credit for that. And Coke got it out of the, out the Bible. So they found wisdom from the Bible and used it in the, in the world. And a lot of people do that. If you just listen to some people, some people out there in the world are taking some of the things they're doing and selling. The wisdom and the principles come right out of the, out of the Bible. So look at this. He says, he says, uh, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world, which are soon forgotten. He said, now look at this. No, the wisdom we speak is the mystery of God. You know, God offering salvation to the world through his son. We said, we learned in previous lessons that that was a mystery, but it has been revealed. And his plan was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. In other words, he was telling them, hey, look, God always had a plan that he was going to redeem man. Even before the world began, he, he knew how things are played out, and therefore he had a plan. And sometimes when we try to present God's plan, especially his plan for salvation for people through his son, people in the world won't accept that. Just like the, all the Jews didn't accept that. They was looking for a Messiah, but they wasn't looking for a Messiah that was going to come and be killed by the Romans. But they were still looking for it. And so some Jews today are still looking for a Messiah because they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But they believe that a Messiah is coming. And we have made the, uh, 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 the leap of faith to believe that Jesus was that Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. We have accepted. And because of that, we have to defend that. So if someone, you're talking to them, and they say they they still waiting on him to come, you got to say, no, nah, that's, a, that's a bad argument. He's not already came. You know, he come back, he's not coming back like he came the first time. So you need to get it right now because when he come back, his, his role is going to be different. But if, if a person don't believe that and, 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 and don't teach that Jesus was the Messiah or the Son of God, then that leads to why we have so many different faiths. I ain't just talking about Christian denomination now. I'm talking about different faiths, whether you Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. Now get this. If you study any of those Islam, any of those religions long enough and read deep into it, you're going to find that all of them have some principles that come right out the Bible. All of them believe in love. All of them believe in some form of spirituality and some spirit. They all have some truth connect that you can find about. The disconnect is Jesus. They just don't see him like we see him, the fundamental truth, the foundation. They don't see him as the son of God. But most religions practice love. Helping your fellow man. Being peaceful. You know, and in some ways, what they, what they talk, you got good karma. You know, you hear people talking, tell you, yeah, man, your, your karma is bad. I mean, that's what you hear. Finley, Finley, your karma is bad, man. I, I don't know what to mean. I guess that I would say, Finley, your spirit is all jacked up right now, man. You know, you, some may write about what you're trying to do to me. You know what I mean? But they're they, they saying the same thing. That's karma. I'm assuming karma, you know, bad karma on you. Some people either, hey, the reason that's happening to you is because you did it to somebody. 
else. Or the Bible says, whatever you sow, that you're going to also. So, so there are a lot of things out there. There's a lot of parallels. The disconnect is Jesus. If we would take Jesus out the equation and not call him the son of God, man, we could probably get along with everybody, every religion. Because we would fall in those principles, love, peace, joy. That's out there. Jesus is the deal breaker. So, look here. He says in verse, verse 8, but the rulers of this world, now in this time in the world, he's talking about those folks that was around Palestine, the, the, the Romans that was in charge of the world at that time. He says, the rulers of this world have not understood it. The simple message, if they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. If they had understood God's plan, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. You know, and when we look at that and, and get here to verse 9, he says this, that is what the scripture means when it says, when they say, no eyes have seen, no eye have seen, no ear has heard, nor no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now he's just trying to let us know in a general way, taking some from Isaiah right there, that comes out of Isaiah 64. He's letting us know that man, we can't even imagine in our natural mind what God got in store for those who love him. I mean, we, we can think, and no matter how we try to match it up, God, we, we can't even imagine it. We can kind of get some ideas based upon what the words say, based upon what Jesus taught. We'll see that in a minute. But he said, man, when it comes what God really has in store for you, man, you can't imagine. You just have to accept that and believe that by faith. And sometimes when we're talking to people, the simple answer is, man, you got to accept this by faith. I, I can't give you no data. I can't give you something you can touch to make you believe this. You're going to have to kind of believe some things you have not seen by faith. And that's a tough argument, especially when you're talking to people that are very intellectual because sometimes they want evidence. I got to see some evidence in what faith says. I believe and hope for things I have not seen. So therefore, it conflicts with what we are taught in the natural. It's easy to believe things that we have seen. If you can see it and touch it and feel it, you really don't need faith for it. That's why I have a problem with people putting all their faith to get a car. You can see the car. You can touch the car. You don't even drove the car. You need to have the faith to get you a good job to buy the car. Because if you had a job, people are buying cars every day and ain't walking around talking about, I need my faith to go up to get a car. No. Your job will determine if you can get you a car. Well, I'm hoping that as a Christian, your credit is pretty good. I mean, as a Christian, you know, that's another thing. You know, if you owe folks, you got to pay them. That's what the Bible says. We got to teach that. You owe people, you pay them. Now, for 30 days, every time you make your payment, they call that grace period. So for 30 days, you're out of debt. But every time that payment come around, you got to make that payment. You can't default on your loan. I know some of them student loans still hanging out there, so I hope the government helped y'all. But y'all ought to at least be negotiating with the people. I'm talking to my college students now, because I got a couple of daughters that still owe government some money. And they're praying that, you know, 
They signed the law to let those things. But until then, they got to negotiate. Them people say, hey, can you reduce my interest? Can you take $100 a month instead of the $500? Can you just take a little bit? I ain't going to act like I don't owe you and, and go to church every Sunday. <laughs> That's a debt. But a lot of Christians are walking around defaulting on their student loan. He said, now look, in verse 10 he says, but it was, but it was to us what God revealed, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his, somebody say spirit. Man, that's why as a believer, you've got to have and believe in the Holy Spirit, man. If, if you can't connect and believe God is a spirit and that Jesus sent the spirit back to you as a believer, then you're going to have a hard time accepting a lot of the things that God is wanting to get through to you. You've got to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. It just can't be no, it, it, you know, the Holy Spirit is a he, part of the Godhead. God in spirit, God in flesh, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So therefore, for us, we got to believe that there's a spirit that God has given us because Jesus said when he died that I'm going to send you a comfort, I'm going to send you a helper, I'm going to send you a teacher. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and his job is to help you understand God. And along with him, the Word, and Jesus will give you a good clue of what God is like. Ain't going to reveal to you everything, but you sure will know enough to get to heaven. He's going to reveal enough for you to get to heaven. Amen. And so that's what, what this is all about, because he's saying, now look, you, you, you got to understand that you got a helper, and his job is to help you with the deep secret. He said, now look, but it was, it, but it was, verse 10, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now look at this, verse 11. No one can know a person's thought except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's ex God thoughts except God's own spirit. Now let's get natural. Right now, I guarantee you, I don't even know all of y'all that person, the close-up and person like that. But I guarantee you, all of y'all got some stuff that only you and your spirit know about you. You know, you can get married and your wife may not know every little that thing that your spirit knows about you. But if she can tap into your spirit and who you are, she'll know enough about you to know your character, your conduct, how you are. But, but there may be some things that only you and your spirit know. You ain't told her the deep you don't hit the surface level stuff, and you don't got to the first level, but you ain't went all the way to the bone and just let her know. Because there's something that only your spirit knows about you. And that's what he's saying about God. There are certain things that only the spirit knows about God. Just like there's only certain things. And so a lot of time I hear married couples say, well, you know, we're going to have a truth conference. Truth. We're going to sit down and we're just going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the chances are you ain't going to get all the truth. You're going to get revealed to you that part of truth that I want you to. So now look at this. 
if you won't reveal your whole hand, why should God? And so his point is, is that, hey, yes, there are some things that we don't know about God, but the Spirit does. And those things that, he, that God wants us to know, the Spirit will reveal, reveal it to us, plus he left his word, plus we got Jesus' example, that's enough to get us to heaven. But there are some things that we may not understand, and when we get to heaven, we may find out that, wow, I didn't know God was going to do that. Wasn't for you to know. You knew enough to get you here. We don't know how God going to look at everybody when it comes to salvation. Because we're looking at just what we see here, and God may see something we don't see. And we may have counted some people out that's going to make it in. Because we just don't know. But God knows. And so because of that, that's why when it comes to people, we are not here to judge people telling what they're going to heaven or hell. That's not our job. Our job is to live right before them. And we can't say something is wrong or right because the Spirit gives us permission to do that. Like when Paul teaches these folks. But we don't have condemning power. That's not given unto us. So we all agree. Got some deep secrets. Deep secrets. If you know, when you go home now, just re recall and write down some of them deep secrets that you got. See what will come back up to your spirit. You may be surprised. Maybe they take you back to you were seven years old, just you did some stuff that, you know, some deep secrets. You ain't never told nobody about some of the stuff. You know, we did some kids, some stuff as kids of six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Ain't never told nobody about some of the stuff we did then. I can remember it too, just like it's still up there in the memory bank. It just, I look at it and say, man, God, we did that. And I thought we was good kids. But those are deep secrets. Don't nobody know that but me and my spirit in the Lord. Amen. Go ahead, brother. But one of the things, though, the things that, that we, we say is, is impossible to please God or is, is our faith. So my point is, is that we should, to stand on our faith, we have to trust that what God have for the best of for me. And, and, and even though I don't know at this moment in time, but it's, it has to be my faith to trust what he's asking me, a trust upon him to stand with that faith. Amen. And not only that, I think also to build my faith is like, once again, you said that uh, the individual, what we stand today in the Old Testament, they didn't have what we have today. God revealed himself unto in the Old Testament to us to understand what he has given unto them and, and prophesied for them or, or things that about them or what's going to happen. And they had to have faith upon that, and they did, and we able to be a witness of that faith. So to a point where I'm trying to say is that now is that where he said about his Jesus Christ came, it came to fruition. So now we have to be able to believe upon what he said he was going to do in the verb, in, in the old, what I'm trying to say, Pastor, is to 
to know that the deep secrets of the things that God will reveal unto you, and you have to trust upon them things that you don't know, that it will come to a pass that believe upon our trust. That's what I'm saying. Is that one of the things, too, is, like you said, is uh, for, for me and my, for, for my spouse, my, for Miss Robin, she's probably hearing from me. I have to tell the deep secrets of my life to her. It, I mean, I have to reveal to her. I mean, that's what God is calling me to, to do the same as he present for me to trust him. Mm-hmm. Is that I have to expose myself unto her. And, and it, it is, it's, that's, that is tough, but that's what he has required for us to do. I, I, I know that uh, if, uh, if I don't do that, then, then what kind of person that I am to her that, that, to, trust, to trust me? Mm-hmm. If you understand, if I hold anything back from her, that is the issue. And here, you know, he's that, talking that's about. That's an issue. That's true. But here he's t- talking about when it comes to God, God give us enough about him so that we can trust him. Gave us enough of the gospel of Jesus and all that. But what he's saying is there are some things that God did not reveal to us. And we have to have faith to believe in the promises and the things that God has stated in his word, even though we have not seen them. And then even beyond that, eyes have not seen, he said, what God has prepared. So there's some things that we know about God based on the word, based on Christ, based on the spirit. But there's some things that is not revealed. Well, I guess what my example will be, the closest example that I could say is Job. God didn't, didn't, didn't answer his question. Why? Why, why am I going through? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I understand that too, but it's still to the point is that uh, he had to trust upon God for uh, uh, to have faith that he did not curse God at all. Amen. If, if you understand. So, yes, that, that is true. <coughs> God don't reveal everything because he asked a question. So a lot of times we do ask the question, what I'm going through? Uh, some of the things, and sometimes he don't even answer you. It's not his obligation to answer you, but you have to have trust. Amen. Amen. Now look at this. Verse 12. He says, and we have, talking about believers now, receive God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know, we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And these wonderful things centered around God's plan for our salvation. See, he's saying that now we can know those things because we have Jesus as a testimony. We have the word, we have the Holy Spirit. Now look at this, what he tells in verse 13. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. There's some truth in this Bible and, and that, from God that are all spiritual truth. Some things that spiritual truth is not going to make sense to your natural mind. It's not going to always line up with what you consider to be natural truth. See, right now, because the, Jesus says, you know, he is the way, the truth, and the light, and the word of God is the word of 
truth. We live in a time now where people are saying that truth is relative. Meaning that if you believe something to be true enough, to you that is true. And because of that, then now what you believe may conflict with what the Bible says. Then now when that happens, we have to have a fallback position that the word of God is true. Our culture, our society is changing so fast, and it is redefining a lot of things. And a lot of things is good, but there are a lot of things redefining that goes contrary to God's word. And so now we have to say, is that true because someone said, well, this is my truth? Or is it true because their truth lines up with the word of God's truth? Because anybody can make that claim. And that's okay. If you're talking about your life, what you've been through, that's one thing. You can philosophize and talk about you all you want. You know you, you know what you've been through. But when it comes to this word and what God said about our conduct, our character, what he has prepared for us, what, what Jesus did for us, we all have to accept those things as the truth of God's word. And that's what's being attacked now. God's word is being attacked, man. I was, even when preachers are doing some crazy stuff. I, I was, man, I mean, I'm going to share this because it, it's out there. I mean, it's into me. Man, I, I, the preacher in Atlanta, man, the boy said some crazy stuff. I mean, he just said, and, and it sounds good for, for people who don't know, you know, we need a new gospel to talk to women in the church who are not married. And in their 40s. We, we can't use the same gospel that we would preach to a 22-year-old who's not married and a 45-year-old who is not married anymore or what has been married that, that understand what comes along with marriage. That same gospel that, hey, you got, if you don't have a husband, you ain't supposed to fornicate. He said, that gospel may work when you're trying to save a young girl and keep her, you know, pure till she get married. But for somebody who don't been married and divorced now and they're single and they still got the urge, you got to have another gospel for them. And he said, you need to encourage them to go get them some sex toys. Say what? That's the new gospel. So now somebody says, hey, that's, that's good news. But there's some things that the people are doing, and if, when they speak into our flesh, flesh may say, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Makes sense. You done been married. You done tried to. You done been married. Yeah. You waiting on boy ass again? He ain't showed up. So small. Go ahead. I'm just. I'm just saying. Still stand. What God says still stands, and He changed not. 
And so no need for us to try to change it just to suit the people. And that's what I think it's doing, trying to suit people to say, okay, you've been married before, you okay, you commit fornication, you can go ahead on and have somebody. No, you can't. You've got to follow God's word because you want to meet him, you're going to stand before him one day, and he's going to say, my word changed not. I was the same way back then, and I'm the same today. And my word will stand. Amen. I, I'm agree with you, Miss Mom. You get out of it out of me. Also, was that in Revelation with Paul when John was was getting instruction and it says don't add or subtract of these words? Amen. So if you said there's a new gospel, is are you adding? Are you you adding to this or are you subtracting from it? I don't know what he's doing, but I know what he's saying. And I, I mean, I, I think he's putting an interpretation on it that will allow him to preach to a set of people that he knows is out there. I know there's a set of people out there, and they got that particular need. And I'm going to preach to that need and tell them, hey, it's okay under this new gospel for you to do that. But then I also know that uh, that we have the influence of Satan. Even in the church, yeah. And I, I also know that Satan would like all, also influence certain things to to make things look like it sounds like. Because by the word, if I'm studying the word, and when I know the word of the gospel of the word, what I have studied, uh, there's nothing in there that says to add such a new gospel or such of that. To me, especially when you when you are enticing someone else pleasure, to me that's to me that's pleasure. Yeah. And, me, and you, you you satisfy someone's flesh to say, yes, I can go and do this now. Uh, yes, I'm gonna satisfy you. I'm giving you okay. Man saying I'm giving you okay <laughs> to do this. So go out and do this. And, and, you'll be happy. And, and you're right. And this, and this, and this guy pushed the envelope. I mean, he just a, a guy that's gonna push the envelope. He's the same guy. Hey, we got all this property over here. Yeah. Guess what? We finna, we finna create our own businessmen right here in the church, and we're gonna grow weed for them, and let them be farmers, and therefore they can get in the pharmaceutical business because we can do that. And, there, and he don't, there are a lot of churches that believe that, okay, in some states where it's legal, it's no longer against the law, so we want to get us a little weed farm over here. I didn't got no problem with, you know, if Jesse say, hey, man, pastor on the side, I'm a pharmaceutical guy. I'm in the business that understand that marijuana can help your eyes, it can help your nerves, it can help, you can help people. So I, I'm a doctor now. I'm a pharmaceutical guy. And, and instead of going out and creating chemicals and putting them in the thing and coming up with a pill, I grow the pill in a, in a plant and give them the plant. As long as the plant is legal, just like codeine is legal, when the chemists make that and put it in, you got to get prescribed and legally prescribed to you. I ain't got no problem. If, that, if that's your profession, that's what you say I'm going to do. But if it's against the law and you say God told you to do it, then I may have a problem with that. Well, Jesse... That is against the, the law. 
there are probably some Christians who own breweries. Because alcohol is no longer against the, the law. And so if they if they know that they're doing something not against law, and that's their occupation, I got I can have to deal with that. But if now if they know that they're out there in their little thing and they're getting people drunk every weekend, then I say, but now Jesse, maybe you need to come up with a better way to put a limit on how much they can drink in your place. You can't you can't let them sit in here and just get towed down. I know I know you're a brewmaster now that you went to school. I ain't got you know, and 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 I can't prove in the Bible that you. Brewing is a sin. So you're going to come back and tell me they brewed in Jesus' day. And they, they, they drank wine in Jesus' day. And they said it was good stuff when, they, when they, he created at the wedding. Jesus created some good stuff. The Bible says, you, you know, Jesus came both drinking and eating. John the Baptist was like bold. He's sitting out here in the wilderness. He ain't eating nothing and ain't drinking nothing. So somewhere between John the Baptist, Bolden, and and Jesus turned the water into wine, you got to find your happy space. So for me to get up and just say something is totally unlawful, when I can say, well, the Bible is not totally clear on that. But what he's trying to say, ooh, I, that's, that's talking to what he, and again, that's the guy that's in, tapped in tune with what's going on in the culture around him, and he knows that there's a group of people out there who's going to say, yeah, I'm going to go to that church because I like the way they're rolling over there. They're going to have a weed farm, man, and, and we're going to be pharmaceutical guys. And if the state approve it, he's going to do it. Because you, when you get on social media and say it, you're already thinking about how you're going to pull this thing off. I mean, you don't throw yourself out there like that unless you're already doing some research to know that, hey, what I'm talking about is, is doable. So once again, we ain't supposed to be in this world. So if you keep, if, if we keep saying that, okay, you know, it's, it's legal in, in, in the United States, I mean, in, in this nation, well, this nation is not, it's not the kingdom of God. They, they're all this world. So we have to be, we are in this world, so we can't walk like in this world. So just because it is legal, we have to, uh, to me, you have to be careful in a sense of how you're walking, or you're going to walk like the world because it is free to do this? Uh, that's, that's, that's would be my question. But also, the Lord would say to us and say, and Paul would be saying to us, watch for false prophets. Mm -hmm. False prophets. And so what is this prophet leading to? Also, he says, your blood will be on your hands if you call someone else to consent of sin. To stumble. The stumble. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and, you know, and you're right. And mean, the, and, and, but the point I'm trying to make is that what we have to, you know, and even though I, I you know, I, I'm a very dogmatic guy, so, you know, I, I'm agreeing with you, but I do think that we have to be uh, understanding of the word enough to know that you just, we just can't call something sinful just because we don't like it. We got to be able to quantify that, hey, the Bible says that's a sin. So, Jesse growing some grapes in his backyard and letting them ferment is not a sin. That ain't sinful. Jesse coming and say, I'm going to have a glass of wine with my dinner. That ain't a sin. 
But now if I come over to Jesse's house and he drunk, then now we got a problem. Because I can say, Jesse, you don't went too far. Maybe you shouldn't have brewed the wine. You should have got, shouldn't have made the grape juice to turn the wine, man. You just left it alone. Because you don't know your limits. And so a lot of you in here drink a little bit. I know you do. But you got to know your limits. You ought to know how much you weigh and how much alcohol you can take in before you consider drunk. Because Pastor Bowden can't come at you until you get drunk. I used to come at them when they, were, when they wanted to just drink wine. I mean, it was, I was dogmatic, man, because I, I used to drink a little bit. I never was a drinker. So it was easy for me to be hard on people who wanted to drink. Because I never was a drinker. Alcohol was never my thing. But so when I was dogmatic, hey, man, in this church, people would not drink around me because they just knew how I was. But then one day, a new group came along that didn't feel pastor like that. And I went out to dinner with them. And them rascals ordered wine right in front of me. I almost passed out. I mean, <laughs> don't they know? But I had to remember, these are young guys. They ain't getting drunk. They're just doing them. They didn't know that, you know, the old school, no, no. You hide that. Now, that freed up a lot of folks. We go out now cruising like that. But water they little wine. Go on about their beer. No, you can't pass over there. Fifteen years ago, that dog went hunt. Everybody be looking around. He is That's why people got married in the church. Man, I used to leave their weddings early. After I get through with the ceremony, going, you know, the first day and stuff is over and all that, leave the formality. I leave because some people will hold back because they see me there. They won't just have fun to wear it. But I understand what sin is, and I'm not going to compromise on what the Bible says is sin, but if it's one of those things that is not sinful just because it's my personal preference not to drink, I can't condemn anybody from that, for that. But sin, yes, we can call sin, sin. Pastor. Uh-huh. I just want to add to that. Um, I think you have to, like the Bible says, you work out your own soul's salvation, and everything is not sin, um, but there are some things that may lead you to sin. And when you know yourself, hey, that thing may not be sin, but that may lead me or cause me to sin. It was, uh, I think in 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, it says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. I think some of the different versions, all things are lawful, that is, it's morally legitimate, it's permissible, but they don't benefit me. That's right. And so you have to know that for yourself. You're right. A lot of things are not sin. But some people are saying, well, I can do that because that's not sin. But if you know yourself and the areas and where you are weak, there's some things you ought to not be around or to choose because that for you may lead you down a path that you can't come out of. For someone else, they don't have a problem in that area, and so they're fine. And so I think we just have to be careful with, yeah, right, all things are not sin, and we don't want to, you know, is, I don't like it, and so you ought to watch out. No, you just need to know you, and you need to know what you can be around and what you can't, and Amen. the same for the other person. Amen. Amen. And, and that's a good passage of Scripture when Paul said that, you know, that, you know, everything that is not necessarily un, un, unlawful for us to do uh, is not necessarily beneficial for us to do. Now, again, that's where the Holy Spirit inside of you got to regulate that. And how he regulates me and how he regulates you may be entirely different. But as you grow and mature, if he tells you to stop doing certain things, like for me, 
I can prove now that, that gambling, okay, is not really a sin. And I used to love gambling. Now, that was my hang-up right there. But when the, when, when the Lord convicted me and told me, hey, you need to give up gambling. Man, I said, but that's recreation. I was trying to justify, man, look, God, if I go and pay $75 for a ticket to the NBA game and for entertainment, What's the difference of me going over here to the slot machine with that same $75? If I lose it, I don't left my, you know, my money at the, at the game. I ain't, they ain't getting my $75 back. Team probably even lost. If I lost the $75, it's the same $75. That was my argument. Ain't no big deal. But then one day the Lord said, hey, you need to give up gambling totally. Not even a little scratch off. Well, I said, okay. For me, and the Lord must have knew my daughter was going to live in Vegas. Because as much as I go to Vegas, if I hadn't gave that up, my God, my God. Ooh, my Lord. <laughs> I'll be out there, you know, I'll be out there almost every other month, man. I'll be out there. But now I can go out there, man, get off the plane, see all those slots in the airport. You can't even go to the bathroom without a slot. But because I've been delivered, I have no desire to do it. Brother Hurt? And that's the the biggest thing right there, Anthony, both of you guys mentioned about conviction. Because there will be people, like you said, that some people with a lot of wisdom, brother wisdom, cannot accept um, who Jesus Christ is and don't get convicted. And their heart is hardened. It's not everybody going to be able to accept the calling and not be able to know the, the spirit of the dwelling in you, in you, in us, to accept, to understand you are convicted. And that's, and that's what is the spirit of God would do. It will convict you. Amen. And once you're convicted of the Holy Spirit, then that will make a change in your life. Amen. Understand it. it is the spiritual thing. And a lot of people ain't going to recognize it. The Amen. Heart, the heart is blocked. And that goes back to what Adrian was saying about yeah. being beneficial. Now yeah. you would, the spirit will say, weigh this. See if this, is, is this beneficial for you, even though you can do it? Is it beneficial? And if the spirit said, no, it's not beneficial, so therefore you shouldn't do it. But sometimes doing things, and this is where we as Christians have to be really mature, because some things I don't do purely because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Because I know that if certain people see me do it, they think that that will legitimize them doing it. So even as a pastor, even if I did drink, even if I did have wine with my dinner, I probably would not do it out in public with a lot of young Christians or people like that. Because they may interpret that, oh, pastor doing it? I might well go ahead and do it too. So so there are certain things that's not beneficial for me to do, even though I can do it. And, 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 and because I don't want to create a stumbling block for somebody else, a baby Christian, who is looking and say, hey, man, I can do that now because pastors, when the Holy Spirit done told them, no, they shouldn't be doing that at all, even though they're authorized to do it. And that's why he talks here about being spiritual. Look at this. Let me go and get to 14 through 16 so we can finish. He says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. But only those who are spiritual, that have, have, mean they understand God, got some 
uh, sense of who God is through his word, through the spirit, you know, can understand what the spirit means. Then he first said in verse 15 and 16, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. I'm going to just say that, Brother Hurst said that. We can evaluate things after we done read this word and see how this ought to play out in our lives. And something, even though it is not unlawful, after I evaluate it, I may decide, hey, I can't do it. So, and, and, and we got to allow the Spirit to help us in that evaluation process. And the, and the good thing about evaluation is that all of us are not clones of each other. So our Spirit is going to speak to us based upon our level of spiritual growth. And so therefore, we got to understand how to deal with one another when we're at different spiritual levels. So let me go and finish reading it and we understand a couple more questions. He says, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. In other words, someone who don't have a relationship with God should not be able to look at your life and evaluate whether you're living in accord with this word or not because they don't understand what the word is all about themselves. So, you, so nobody outside the gospel should be able to put you on a guilt trip of what you do, especially if you're living in accord with the word. Now, if you're out there living like the world, and doing exactly what they're doing, again, short of sin, but doing what they're doing in a way that is sinful. And they know, see, even when I was in the world, I had some idea what was good and what was bad. Just someone's in me to know that that is not good. And so therefore, when I have that and the world got that, and they see us doing something, they say, now that is not good. Then now they're saying that, hey, that Christian over there is doing something that don't line up, even by the world standards. So he said, so we gotta we gotta know that we gotta live in a way so they can evaluate us. He said, now look at verse 16. For those for, for who can know the Lord's thoughts, God's thoughts, we know enough to teach. Who know enough to teach him? Kind of like what he told Job. You know, Job thought he knew enough about God. God said, you know, who are you? Where were you when I created the world and set the boundaries? So God is not going to let us know all of his thoughts. But we understand these things about salvation, about how God wants us to act and live when it comes to Jesus Christ. Because for we have the mind of Christ. As a believer, you have the mind of Christ. That's why in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So when we conduct ourselves to act like Jesus, we have his mind, and having enough of the mind of Christ will bring you in line with God. Even though you may not know everything that you need to know about God because he hadn't revealed everything in his total plan to you. But we got enough to be saved if we just take on the mind of Christ. We can get that. That's possible. And all that is is through our spirit being grown and we being taught this word. That's why when you come to church, man, it's important that someone at least open the Bible up and teach you a couple of scriptures. And then they want to pontificate. That's okay. But at least get a nugget out of there that you can take somewhere and say, hey, that's a truth that I can live on. I can, I can stand on that truth and, and, and believe that if I, I, I walk in that truth, then God is going to allow me to grow and I'll be mature in the things of God. Amen? Any questions? Any questions about tonight's lesson? It's going to get even more interesting as, as Paul going again, keep, keeping in mind to the church that he's ministering to, 
there's going to be some things he has to address, and, and you're going to say, wow, how could that be in the church? But, uh, but again, keep in mind, Corinth was a, a secular city, and, uh, and a lot of people coming out the world into the church, and they brought a lot of that right into the church. Amen? Amen.